0: Isaiah chapter 6, and the first 8, and very first portion of verse 9. Isaiah chapter 6. The title of my message is uh, Holy, Holy, Holy. The Bible says, and Isaiah records, and it's believed that, and I believe it, that this portion of Isaiah is Isaiah writing this these very words he says in the year of king Uzziah's death i saw the lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple seraphim stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two He covered his, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And he said, go and tell, then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. I want to stop there because the message is is like a separate sermon after that, frankly. But I want to stop there because he gets called and then he goes. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, about 700 years before Christ is born in Bethlehem, the sad announcement was made. And it's interesting because it's just like in the UK right now, when they said, the queen is dead. And the whole country was almost like, feeling like, oh no. The loss for a lot of them, especially the older generation, but a lot of them, most of the, na- the nation, the UK, and they're like, how are things going to be now? Is it going to be different? Are we going to have things be as dignified and as, as, as elegant, actually, in dealings with each other, not that there was perfection, but with Queen Elizabeth, will it be that way? And the same thing is happening here with the prophet Isaiah. In this year that he's having this vision, Uzziah dies. King Uzziah dies. And there's this announcement that the king is dead. Uzziah was the 11th king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And he he died. And, And at the age of 16, think about this, he was king. 16. How many of you would take and submit to the commands and the laws of a 16-year-old king right now. That's an issue of submission and understanding authority, and even spiritual authority. He had reigned 52 years. Queen Elizabeth had him beat. But 52 years, he was king. And despite some of his failings, he was the greatest king since David at that time. See, the heart of Isaiah, the prophet, was broken just as the man, as a person who lived in that kingdom. He was broken. Uzziah was not only his king, but he was also his friend. And in his heartbreak, Isaiah makes his way to the temple, or maybe wherever it was, because we don't know for sure, because he had a vision. Was he actually in the temple or not? We don't know 100% but he was in the presence of God and God was visiting him to worship and to seek comfort and to renew his faith and to be reminded that even though King Uzziah and the announcement was made that the king is dead, that when he sees God in this vision, he can know that God is still alive. That God is on the throne even though Uzziah is not any longer with all the concerns of what's going to happen to the nation, and politically, and financially, and with stability, and with security, and everything else, God was still on His throne. He was still on His throne, and that will never change. It will never change that God will be on His throne. Some of you, several years ago, when a certain person was elected as president, you freaked out and you thought, that's the end of America. And some of you, just two years ago, when a certain person was elected president, you freaked out and said, that's the end of America. And God said, forget that. Who's the king in your life? And I'm still on the throne. And I'm high and lifted up. And these kings have brought you nothing but garbage. Yeah, I say that with confidence. Because it's the truth. It's all garbage what's going on. It's sinful. It's wicked. It's evil. And we're not of this world. Our kingdom is not of this world. We belong to God. He's our king. And no matter who dies or what changes in power there are, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. And Isaiah heard that the king is dead, and he lost his earthly king who he loved, but he caught a fresh glimpse of the king of kings. Isaiah, can I just put it bluntly and simply and as easy as it gets? Isaiah saw the Lord. Have you seen him? When's the last time you saw Him? I mean, really saw Him. When is the last time you really saw the Lord? I hope it hasn't been too long. Because you know what? This is the greatest vision you can ever have and keep having is when you see the Lord for who He is right in the splendor of His majesty and glory at His throne room. There is no greater vision than to see the Lord. You know, Uzziah wasn't perfect, but in 1 Kings chapter 15, or maybe it's 2 Kings chapter 15, I apologize, he is recognized as a good king, as listed as one of the good kings, because there was a pattern in Israel, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and he did some things that were not pleasing to the Lord, but he was still declared and recorded as a good king of Israel. 52 years. And now Isaiah is wondering and he's saying, God, what's going to happen? But when he saw who God was, when he saw something of God's character and nature, he caught just that glimpse, maybe even more than a glimpse, frankly. And he saw something of the Lord, just like Moses described in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. Glorious in holiness, Moses said, fearful in praises. Or awesome in His glory, Moses said. And the seraphim there that he sees around God, with six wings, two to cover their faces, two to cover their feet. He's so magnificent and He's so powerful as a God. And all they did was proclaim, and we call this the the trisagion, which is the repetition three times of holy, holy, holy. And we know why, that, and you know that any time there's repetition, it is pronouncing something, I'll say it, passionately, fervently, emphatically, so that it is heard, understood, and known, even if it's by way of reminder. Holy, holy, holy was the proclamation. And this glorious presence was so strong that even the seraphim, Fallen, not, not fallen creatures, but had no fall, no experience of sin themselves. They're in God's presence created to protect His holiness. And they have their face covered because their God's glory is so bright, majestic, and powerful. And their feet as well. Holy, holy, holy is all they could say is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with with his glory, it's full of his glory, it's amazing, when Isaiah has this vision, it actually almost mirrors in a weird way, well, very similarly actually, what Ezekiel had in chapter 1, the prophet Ezekiel, you can read in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel was called, just as Isaiah was called and commissioned here, he had a vision, and can I just be honest with you, it was weird. You can read it, the wheel, flying in the wheel, and this and that, and you know what? You can go ahead, and you can look at history, and you can tell me what that wheel inside the wheel is. Go ahead. Have fun. You can do that. I'll keep that to you. I'm not going to figure it out. I'm not. It was weird, but you know what else it was? It was awesome. It was such an experience, this vision, that all it did was cause him to just be broken and brought down and realize what he saw was was a holy God revealing himself to him and telling him, you're mine, I'm yours, I've got work for you to do. I'm paraphrasing. And it was amazing, powerful stuff just like Isaiah experienced here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now, I want you to notice this morning just three things that are really, really important. Notice that just like Isaiah When anyone, when we truly see God for who he is, when we see God for who he is as a holy God, we will have a proper comprehension that God is holy. I didn't say perfect comprehension. I said a proper comprehension. And that comprehension means that our whatever view we had of God's holiness is put in its proper place. And it was nothing like we thought it was because He's holy and we can't do it justice to understanding or even explaining the holiness of God. Oh, we try and we can with our finite words and language. But when you see God, when you meet God, when you encounter God, you will have a proper comprehension that God is. Is holy. Holiness is not an attribute that God has among all the others. It is a quality of all the attributes of God. You know why? Because His justice is not like anyone else's. Do you know why? Because His omnipotence is not like anyone else's. It's holy. And every other attribute, not even close. You can't do a justice. You can't properly do that. But his holiness is the background of all that God is. See, there are two aspects to God's holiness. And, and we discussed this in Sunday school in some different ways last year, and over the years. But when we talk about God's holiness, and you and I probably even mentioned here in sermons in the past, I don't know. But the first aspect is that God is unique. And this is what I mean when we say that we can't, that God's righteousness, His justice, His love, His hoin, it's not like ours. It's not like anything or anyone because He is completely unique. And that Hebrew word, kadosh, means that He's marked off, that He's withdrawn from common, ordinary, created, everyday, average things. He's God. He's the only one. And He's holy. God is totally separate from all creation. Listen, He's not ignorant. And He's not just remotely out there. He is is here present as well among us, right? He isn't just... He's transcendent, but He's here. He's imminent. He's here among us. But again, this word holy is also conveyed to objects and to places that are associated with Him. Do you remember Exodus 3? the burning bush where 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 god has this meeting with moses out in the wilderness and this bush is burning up is burning but it's not burning up it's not being consumed and moses was asked to take his shoes off why because god's presence was there and it was around that bush and that ground was holy and he was ordered by the holy god to take off his shoes because the ground was holy That respect, that reverence, that awe, that awareness that God is due and worthy of. And in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, and even in the temple, it was separate from the rest of the temple and tabernacle. And it was only to be entered once a year. And there, because it was holy, it was guarded by the cherubim and the seraphim to protect God's holiness. Really? Really? They were, there's no way that God can even look at sin, and that he, and this is the second aspect of God 's holiness, that he's unique, but that he's absolutely pure, He is untouched, He is unstained by the evil in this world, unlike the kings of the world. Habakkuk chapter one, verse 13, the prophet says, "Your eyes talking about God are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong." James 1.13 says, God is not tempted by evil, unlike the gods of the pagan nations all around Israel. Why? Because they're created beings and they're nothing but devised in human minds. And he says, they're not like that who participate in unclean and evil acts. And there are many other scriptures that point us to the fact that God is absolutely pure, perfect, sinless, Fully righteous, absolutely untouched and unstained by evil. God is perfect, and so He is the, the standard for all moral beings, including you and me. And because He is, in Leviticus chapter 11, He says something through Moses. He said, Be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Not as I am holy, but be holy because I am holy. Not be holy as I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. The Old Testament is filled with all these depictions and descriptions of God as holy. I can give you a dozens of things in the Old Testament, but I'll just mention to you the priests, the sacrifices, the temple instruments and furniture. And even then, because men were involved in the process, sometimes they were made unholy and God had to write what was wrong. And he did it when people saw God for who he really was. Through the word of God and by the warnings of those who were his prophets and his instruments that declared the truth and pointed out their error. What does this mean? Actually, what did this mean for Isaiah? I mean, really, think about this. What did it mean for Isaiah? And what does it mean for you and me today? That God is holy, that he is absolutely unique and different than you and me. There's no one like him. And that he's also absolutely pure and perfect morally and, 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 and there's no sin or wickedness in his, in his, in his, in his being. None whatsoever. What does that mean? Well, Isaiah had a second revelation in God's presence. The first one was when he really saw God, he realized he had a proper understanding. God is holy. God is holy. It was a reminder, but it was also something to push him on. To push him on and to bring him to his knees. To convict him and to also cause him to be consecrated ultimately. But he also, in this, in this, in this presence of God, something was changed as well. His comprehension of God as holy was revealed to be quite holy. H-O-L-E-Y. His comprehension of this holy God was very holy, H-O-L-E-Y. Yes, it's a different word, but it sounds the same. What's that called in English, and I forgot what it's called. H-O-L-E-Y. His comprehension, he saw God properly as the holy one, the only one. But it was full of holes. It was full of holes, because he thought he was okay, or he thought that his view of God was okay, but there were holes throughout his entire understanding and rationalization and and even description of who God was, and it was because he was a sinful man. Look at verse 5. When he saw God, he said, woe is me. Woe is me. You know what he's saying? Literally, quite literally with that expression? I'm unraveling. I'm coming apart at the seams. I'm melting. I'm going to be done in front of this and before this holy God. And my seams are bursting in the presence of almighty God. How often, think about this, Our appraisal of ourselves is so high. We're okay. I'm all right because... And we fill in the blanks. And we can find reasons to justify and explain away our unholiness. Whether it be how we approach people. Whether it be how we misinterpret scripture. Whether it be how we treat the world. Whether it be how we treat our husbands, our wives, or anyone else. Or God Himself. Or if we just simply live in sin. And we're ignoring it or justifying it. Then God says, man, you know that I'm holy, but your idea of what holiness is in your own life is full of holes. H-O-L-E-S. It's 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 a holy perception. H-O-L-E-Y. Of my holiness. It can't be that way. It should instead be that every time we see God, that we are unraveling and we're breaking and we're melting and we're realizing that even though we're like that, God is still allowing us to be in His presence. Oh, we have such a high appraisal of ourselves. And we're actually still on the ground and we're nothing but sinful, wicked people sometimes. And there's two reasons for that, right? Because you and I, we do not possess or cannot obtain the standard for all of creation like God does, right? Only God does. And secondly, even if we thought we had obtained holiness, we couldn't uphold or sustain it in our own lives on our own. Period. Allow me to illustrate. I've used this illustration, actually, I think, pipe many times. I don't know. But I'll illustrate it again and just share with you of how we can fall into the trap of having this this holy, H-O-L-E-Y, view of God's holiness. And it's this. It's the analogy of our solar system and the Earth and all the planets that orbit around it. You probably remember as soon as I say that, because some of you, I've I've mentioned this before. And you have these planets orbiting around the sun, right? And they're going around, and the sun, 147, 150 million miles away. Is that what it is? Something like that? I, I don't know how they even measure that, but they do. So it's that far away, right? And the shape of an orbit is elliptical. And it's a perfect parallel to how our lives around our Creator, even our God is. It's never the same. In other words, it's never perfect. It's not. It's not. Sometimes we're further away from from the Son, who, by the way, is Jesus, the center of the universe. Right? Is Is He the center of the universe? He's everything, right? And so sometimes we're further away and sometimes we're really close. Right? And it's like we're, we feel like we're getting burned up because we're so close. And sometimes we're so far away because we, we treat him like our buddy and he's just our friend or he's the genie in the bottle and he does care for me, but ah, I'll keep my distance. And then things get cold and then things don't go well. Right? But you can't get so close that you jump in his lap like it's all okay all the time because he's still a holy consuming God who you will get burned. He's holy. He's righteous, and there are limits within that orbit that he allows you to go as his his son and as his daughter, right? We go through seasons or phases in our lives in which our closeness to God is inconsistent. It's okay. I go through phases and seasons in my life in which my closeness to God is inconsistent. And I'm so grateful for the grace of God to pull me back into proper orbit. It's amazing. There are several reasons for this, right? Why that happens in our lives. But none greater than what pulls us or draws us or like in astronomy, right? And in science, we know that gravitational pull. God's always wanting to pull us back if we're too far away and if we're too close. He has a way of... Letting us know, all right, hold on, I'm God, you're not. So, remember that. I suppose, I suppose that whether you are a Christian or not this morning here, the antidote to a bad habit is to confess that you are not holy, or if I could take the liberty, you are not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the universe. You aren't, you aren't, you aren't. You are not the center of the universe. God, forgive us. God, forgive you who think you are and act like it sometimes. Me too. God, have mercy. God, forgive us. And thank God that when He allows us to come into His presence and we see Him properly, that He is holy, And that when we go, we start to realize that our view of ourselves and and, and our estimation of ourselves is full of holes. And we're so far short of what we thought we were. And Still, God keeps us there. He keeps us there. Because he has a plan and he wants to work in our lives and change things and bring us into proper orbit, orbit. Woe is me. When's the last time you had that kind of experience? This isn't about guilting. This isn't about making you feel bad. And by the way, if I make you feel bad, and it's God's word, I, I, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I can't help it. It's, 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 it is what it is, as we say. Woe is me. How? When's the last time you had that experience? that you were in God's presence, or you opened the Word of God, but you were just in God's presence, and you were in fellowship, and you realized, man, I am so imperfect, and yet I'm declared holy, but I thank you, God, that you're holy, and, and as holy, H-O-L-D-Y, as I am, I'm still here, and you, you're pulling me back in, because I'm drifting out of orbit, and your love is so great, and, and your love is holy, and that's why you can do what you do with me. See, Isaiah realized this, and we ought to as well. When we do, the result is that we are brought into alignment with God Himself, with His holiness, by what Jesus has done for us, to forgive us, restore us, and use us. I love that. I love that. That even when we realize, and we, we come to terms that we're sinful, and that my holiness falls far short, I can then say, woe is me. And I make that, make, that, make that confession, that admission, right? And then, God wants to use us. That's when God starts to use us. And this is called consecration. And so thirdly and lastly, in other words, we realize, as Isaiah did, that just that because the seraphim took the coal, by the way, I'm going to pause there before I get to that third point, and it's connected. Isaiah goes, he has this vision, and the seraphim took that coal off the altar. Right? It, the coal was already something that was burnt up, and it means that, that sin on that altar, there was a burnt offering there. That that offering had already been made. That that sin was dealt with and now the coals are left and they're still hot. And it's already done. And he comes and he takes it and he puts it on the lips of the prophet Isaiah, the soon-to-be prophet Isaiah. And he consecrates him. Because Isaiah was able to confess, woe is me. I'm falling apart. I'm... For lack of a better way, I'm nothing before you, God, compared to you. I'm unrighteous, I'm unholy, and you're perfect, and I'm not, and you're great, and I'm not. Woe is me. And the seraphim does the work, because God chose. And Jesus did the work, because God chose. And He brings that coal, and He purifies. And He cleanses, and He forgives. Just like Jesus' blood cleanses, purifies, and forgives once and for all, washes away our sins. You become holy because of His cleansing and call, or if I could say, and that, that gravitational pull that is in the spiritual, it's called conviction, that God is holy and you are not, and that leads you to confess that you are full of holes. In your view of God. Not to mention... In your view of yourself. So this coal is taken, his lips are touched, and you know what happens here? He becomes holy gods. He saw that God was holy. And when he saw God properly as the Holy One, he realized that his righteousness, that his position before God was H-O-L-E-Y. It was holy, but now when the angel touched his lips, he becomes holy. Like completely, right? That word holy. Completely God's. There's a process. It's a three-step process. And it's something that should be repeated every day by each one of us. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not. It's not. I say that as an admission of my own shortcomings and of my own false self-estimation of who I think I am. I know who I am in Christ. But sometimes we can take it so lightly or don't take it seriously. And I don't meet God and I don't see God for who He is. And then you know what? I'm not wholly His. I'm not wholly His. But you've got to have that experience to get to that place. Listen, when you become holy gods, you obey His call to preach the gospel, to tell others about God, to tell others about Jesus, especially in this New Testament era, you know, on this side of the cross that we live on. That we live on and to, to pull on, to and again, to, God keeps pulling on our lives to keep us in that proper orbit so that we can be in obedience and we need to submit and obey. And This means that you are fully aware that you are a person of unclean lips. You know what the reality is, biblically? That if you have unclean lips, and by the way, unclean doesn't mean just untruthful, but if you have unclean lips, you have an unclean heart. Unclean lips As the Proverbs say, man, they can give life or death. They can build up or tear down. They could do a lot of things. That's evil if you're doing the opposite. You're doing Satan's work. You are. It's wrong and it comes from an unclean heart. And you might have a false estimation of your holiness before God, which means you're holy, H-O-L-E-Y. You need to have the coal touch your lips. And me too, all of us. Every day, brothers and sisters, every day. That we might speak the truth in love and that we would not compromise and that we wouldn't waver back and forth, but then we would also walk in it as much as we speak in it. God have mercy, help us, Lord. If you will be cleansed, you must then confess, woe is me, and then the coal touches your lips. Because I hold on to the promise in First 1 John 1, 1.9 that if we confess our sins, right? He is faithful and just. We sang about that as well. And He will, right? He will forgive and take away all of that. Over and over, because he's faithful and just, to wash all of that away again today and tomorrow and later and in 10 minutes. And in two years, he will, if you confess and woe is me, I'm wrong, I'm so short of what you want, God, he will touch your lips with the coal, with the blood of Jesus, the ultimate final sacrifice that appeased God. To satisfy his anger and to spare us from his wrath. Because that's the consequence of sin in the end. Isaiah got a glimpse. I'm almost done. Isaiah got a glimpse of God's holiness. And he had to speak up. Man, I mean, think about it. The experiences we have in our lives. When we have something dramatic or amazing or something unbelievable happen to us. We tell everyone, right? And we want to share with everyone. But maybe we're not hearing about this holy God and his ways because we're not seeing God. We're not meeting him. We're not, we're not finding that place and we're not saying, wow, I saw the Lord. I had this vision. I spent time there. And I saw who he was. He's holy and that I'm short of that. And, and, and he wants to make me holy. is, but I've got to admit, I got stuff in my life, sin in my life, shortcomings in my life. And he wants to Remove that. It was just a glimpse that Isaiah got, but it was enough, and he was forever different for the rest of his life. This morning, if you're a Christian, and if you've had that glimpse of God as Isaiah did at some point in your life, let me ask you, did it change you? Did it realign your orbit through this life around Jesus, God's Son, the center of the universe. Did it make you ready to speak up for God? If it hasn't, maybe you need to think back and remember what you saw. Or, let me, let me even say, better yet, even better, come to this altar and see God all over again. How is it, how is it, my friends, brothers and sisters, church, not just here, but church everywhere, how is it that we can say that we've seen the Lord when all we do is walk by Him for 30 seconds in the morning and and, and read half a scripture verse and run out the door? How can we say we've seen God? Now, I'm not limiting God's power and His Word. He can speak to you and energize you spiritually, so to speak, in 30 seconds. But how is it that we can say we've really seen God when we just blow by Him? Look, the altar, we call it the altar here. There's nothing magical about it. Can it be transformative? Yes. Yes. Is it the solution to to, to the holes in your life? No. But you know what it is? You know what it is, and we don't do it enough? It's a starting point. It's a starting point. It's a starting point. Just like getting baptized in water isn't the solution and now sets you off to a perfect Christian journey. It's the starting point that validates you're a Christian and then people say, okay, let's see how that's going. That can happen here too. Between you and God first. And the altars are going to be open in just a moment. And listen, you've got to know that if you want to be used by God, if you want to see Him the right way, you've got to. To meet with Him and see Him this morning. See Him for who He really is. You need to see God over again as as you enter His presence and you have the coal touch your lips and sometimes it's unpleasant. And yet, It's so rewarding because you're purified and you're consecrated and you're holy gods and He makes you holy, His all over again in a fresh new way. And all your holy, H-O-L-E-Y-ness, holiness is burnt away and you're once again His. Where are you at? When's the last time you've seen God for who He really is? You want to just keep going the way you are? I mean, is it really okay to, to, to pretend that you know God when you haven't seen him in ages, so to speak? It's not. It's not. So this morning, I want to encourage you. If you're going to leave, please go out quietly. And I, and I seriously mean that, because if you're not, I'll come back there and I'll tell you to leave quietly. But this, this has to be a holy moment. If it's not, we're wasting our time. You know what? Can I just say it? I'm sick of wasting time. I'm sick of wasting time. The holy God that we serve wants to meet with you and give you a vision, if you will. In other words, that you would see him again all fresh and anew. And again, I encourage you, invite you to do that. So you'll be changed, and you'll never be the same again. Ever. So the altars are open. You want to stay in your seat? That's fine. You want to come up here? That's fine. Take time. And maybe you need to realign, or you need to let God just realign your orbit. And maybe I've been talking, and you realize, oh man, I'm so out of orbit. God's calling you back today. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior this morning. And this holy God... The one true God is calling to you and He's touching your heart and you realize, man, I need Jesus because without without His blood applied to my life, there's always sin there and I'm so holy, H-O-L-E-Y. I'm I'm always leaking out and I have no energy and I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm sinful and I, I need to be made whole. That happens when you come before the holy God and confess and acknowledge you need Him as your Lord and Savior. He'll come into your life. He'll consecrate you and He'll use you would you do that this morning? I'm going to pray. The altars are open. When I finish praying, feel free to seek God this morning. Heavenly Father, you're a holy God. There's none like you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prompt our hearts, you would prick our hearts, and you would purify our hearts But I pray that we wouldn't uh, run away from that holy fire of yours. So, Lord God, I pray you just cause us to be in your presence, in your word, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us deeply, clearly, and reveal to us all over again how holy you are, how unholy we are, but because of your Son, Jesus, we can be wholly yours.